Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, the Twins make it to the postseason for the first time in seven years. Pulitzer Prize-winning editorial cartoonist Steve Sack and a commentary on drones from our own Bill Werner. But first, with the holiday season approaching, Minneapolis-based Target made a surprising move this week, becoming the first low-wage chain to announce it would increase the minimum hourly wage for all workers starting next month. Tasha Radel has more. That's right, Scott. The company announced Monday that it would increase the minimum hourly wage for all workers to $11 starting next month. They also committed to a $15 minimum wage by the end of 2020. The company says the increase will also apply to the more than 100,000 hourly workers it is hiring for the holidays. Joining me now to discuss the move is St. Thomas University marketing professor emeritus Dave Brennan. Dave, do you believe this was a strategic move for Target? Well, I think what Target is trying to do is to build a much more favorable uh, image of themselves uh, in terms of uh, consumers on one hand and then in terms of workforce and make it a much more desirable place not only for current employees but future employees and make it easier to attract them. And I think part of it fits in very nicely into their social responsibility, of which uh, they always believe in strong communities as well as employees. And, you know, I was going to ask you, too, it got me thinking, you know, we're, we're, we're going to be entering uh, quite a critical time of, of, of worker shortages, and do you think this is another move just to retain those workers? Absolutely. I think that in terms of the increasing wages will help in retention. And when you when you look at it for this year at eleven dollars uh, an hour, I suspect that many of the people are getting uh, significantly more than the eleven dollar minimum that uh, Target is uh, offering. So I think it will be uh, an effort too, and I think a successful one in being able to retain frontline workers. And you know, uh, shifting gears a little bit, when when they announced a week or two ago um, their plans to hire uh, for seasonal employees, and then I think Walmart came out either shortly before that or after saying that they're not going to. Did that surprise you? Uh, it did. It really did, because conventional wisdom is if you're going to have more sales, to be able to deal with the customer and also deal with uh, getting uh product on the shelves and maintaining that so you don't have stock outages, that it's going to require more people. And obviously, in terms of discount stores like Walmart and Target, that's going to require more employees. Well, what Target has said is they're going to to hire uh, 100,000 seasonal workers, which fits with conventional deal. And obviously, 100,000 makes it sound really big because it's six digits. On the other hand, Walmart is taking just the opposite approach, saying that they will work their people long and hard. Uh, they, uh, they will maintain their cost, but they do run the risk of two things. Number one, providing good customer service on one hand, and the other is being able to keep shelves full and restocked. Uh, they also run the risk with employees in terms of overworking them. Uh, during this uh, critical holiday spending period. Well, I think it's fair to say that this could be an interesting holiday season. No, I think it's going to be a very interesting uh, 
situation, and we will be doing the uh, holiday spending survey again this year. And uh, looking to, at this point, looking for a pretty po- signs are pretty positive, both economically and in terms of psychologically, in terms of customers, not only in the Twin Cities but nationwide. David, before we run out of time, I wanted to ask you one more thing. I saw a report that a number of companies, including Target, have all flagged weakness in Hispanics spending in the last year, and many feel the Trump administration crackdown on immigration policy is contributing to the slowdown. Your thoughts? Yeah, I think it, it's been widely reported, uh, although not as uh, extensively by the press, Bloomberg and Financial Times as an example. <clears throat> and it's significant because there are roughly 57 million Latinos that live in the United States, and their demographics tend to be younger and it's fast-growing, but those are the folks that generally spend at least all of what they make. And so it is a significant portion of the U.S., about 17%. Uh, when you take a look at it, what seems to be happening is some of the actions of President Trump uh, getting more aggressive on illegals and the shutdown on sanctuary cities, uh, discussion of the wall, uh, what happened in uh, Charlottesville uh, last week, and in terms of the outcome, in terms of white supremacists, neo-Nazis, that uh, really are looking to keep uh, white people uh, in the the forefront. And then this week we had Phoenix. All creates kind of unpredictability uh, in which uh, anybody uh, in terms that felt uh, concerned would be uh, try to be more safe. And how it affects uh, retailers is I think that you find that people generally tend to play it closer to home and shop more locally rather than going to the mall and going to places farther away uh, so that they, if they're illegal, they're not picked up or, I should say, undocumented. But even so, it has a plus for the online sales like Amazon and some of the other uh, retailers that are out there. Thanks again to my guest, St. Thomas University marketing professor emeritus Dave Brennan. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The Minnesota Twins will play in the postseason as the final American League wildcard entrant facing the New York Yankees in a one-game playoff on Tuesday night. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm sat down with baseball prospectus editor-in-chief Aaron Gleeman to talk big league baseball on Minnesota Matters. Well, Aaron, let's start. How surprised are you that the Twins are in the postseason? I mean, it's shocking. I think I felt at the beginning of the year I was one of the more optimistic people, and whether it was my thoughts or baseball prospectus, projected them for 78 wins. And at the time, people were going, are you guys nuts? They're going to improve by 20 games? Well, no, they're going to improve by 25-something games. So I think it is they're going to be the first 100-loss team to make the playoffs the next season. Obviously, the second wild card helps, but it is one of the biggest turnarounds in, in modern American League history. When you crunch the numbers, what has been the difference? I mean, obviously, 103 losses to where they yep. sit now heading into the playoffs. I think the biggest thing particularly if you look where they were at the trade deadline below 500 to the run they made 
was almost every young hitter stepped up. Buxton turned into a superstar. Rosario turned into a middle-of-the-order power hitter. Jorge Polanco started hitting homers, which he didn't even do in the minor leagues. So I think the young development, which is not that shocking. It's just shocking that it all came together at the same time. And then their hitting coach, James Rousen, who's in his first season, was brought in by the new regime, I think deserves a lot of credit because you could see during the early struggles, especially with Buxton, they tinkered and changed his mechanics on a weekly basis until they found something that clicked, and man, did it click. Yeah, and as you mentioned, that all came together. I mean, have you? I mean, that month of August is historic. The Twins have really almost never had a month like that. Yeah, and I think if, if, the, in, if the Indians hadn't been winning 22 in a row, I feel like the Twins would have become sort of a national story to kind of written off, and let's face it, the front office even sold off a couple guys, didn't add anything to It's almost like a Major League the movie situation where it's like, well, we might as well just keep winning it despite what's going on here. But, yeah, it's, it's an incredible story. They're ahead of where anybody could have expected. And the nice thing is it doesn't look like a fluke in the sense that most of the big contributors are 23, 24, 25. And Sano's been out, by the way, after being the best hitter in the in the first half. So it's a thing that I think will continue long term. What is their prospectus now in the postseason? Obviously, they have the Yankees on Tuesday. It's a you know really a coin flip. I yeah. know it's on a road, but uh, what do you think heading in? I mean, can they make some noise here? It's a real tough matchup, and you don't have to tell Twins fans that, that <laughs> winning a game at Yankee Stadium in the playoffs, is, is it's been nearly impossible. But, yeah, like you said, at worst, you're 30, 35, 40%. It's a coin flip. And if you win that game, you get into then a five-game series. You're going to go back to Cleveland where they just finished up the season. Uh, I think they're going to be the underdog in any matchup they have, especially on the road against the Yankees. But they've been the underdog all year. And so I think – The nice thing about baseball and the thing that tends to drive people a little bit crazy come playoff time is a 100-win team can very often lose 3 out of 5 or 4 out of 7 to a 90-win team. And there's no reason that the Twins, if they can beat Corey Kluber once against the Indians and get some good pitching performances, you can certainly win 3 out of 5 as a good team against a slightly better team. It's a, I mean, it's a a tall order, and they're going to be the underdogs, but, you know, why not? You have your finger on the pulse of this team and the fan base. Have the fans been as excited, do you think, in general as they should be about what they have witnessed here, certainly in the second half? I think of late. I think this month. I think it took a little bit, especially given where they were at at the trade deadline and given how bad they've been for five out of the last six years, people were skeptical. People were saying, well, we've seen them have good starts before. You know, let's let's wait to see where we're at. But I think the reaction in late August and September, when you started seeing a lot of the other wildcard teams just kind of dropping off to the side, the Angels and the Rangers and the and the Royals even, mm-hmm. I think people started going, okay, this is for real. The one thing keeping people from fully diving in is the coin flip aspect, mm-hmm. which is even if there wasn't this long history of losing against the Yankees, there's only so so hyped up uh, that you can get to really go to a one game situation. But if they can clear that hurdle. I think, you know, we'll, we'll see this town turn in, at least briefly, to a baseball town, which you don't see a whole lot here. Can this group of young players, you know, talking Kepler and Rosario, we talked about Buxton, uh, there's some young pitching arms that are very exciting, uh, probably led by Barrios, and I know they've got some folks behind that in the minor leagues. Um, are we? Is this the start of something that this could be a, a run of really good baseball for the Twin Cities in the state? I think so. I mean, almost every key contributor is – signed, under contract, under team control for a long time. Really, Dozier has one more year. He's the only one that you could see departing. But even Irvin Santana's got two more years of team control. And then all the guys you just named are, you know, five, six more years of team control. They have to keep kind of building on the steps they took in the second half. And then the big key is, and this is why there was a change in the front office, you're counting on the 
you know, Thad Levine and Derek Falvey to supplement the roster of young players with some veterans, whether it's offensively, they could use uh, some more bullpen help, they could use some rotation help long-term. But the key parts, the building block pieces, I think are in place, and you, you have to feel good. There, there, are, there just aren't many teams that have as many you know, pieces in place already for the next five to ten years as the Twins. And I didn't even mention Sano or uh, Polanco in that group of, of guys, yep. so there there is a good nucleus there for sure. Last one for Aaron Gleeman from Baseball Prospectus. There had been some discussions, certainly, like as Paul Molitor as the season starts, what is his future because he's coming off of 103 losses? Well, now he's got this team in the postseason. Is there any way he's not back for 2018? Uh, I think the only thing that plays against him coming back is his contract is up. He'll just be a straight-up free agent. And he's he was not handpicked by the regime. And we've seen them make quite a few, whether it was scouting, coaching, player personnel, changes. But I just think given the Twins' history or just any team in general, it's hard to not bring a guy back if he wants to come back. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like he does. When you improve by 25 games and you make the playoffs in a year, people were hoping for third or fourth place. I just think it's very tough. Uh, and that was – I don't want to say the danger, but that was one of the weird parts of not – you know, starting with a totally clean slate when they took over the front office is you give everybody a year. Well, during that year, if somebody does really well and the team does really well, it may change your entire approach. And so it comes down to Mauder. If he wants to come back, you know, if he wants a 10-year deal at $5 million a year, that's a whole other thing. But if he's reasonable and he wants to come back, I would be at this point surprised if he wasn't back, which is a big change from where things were a couple months ago. How can people find your stuff? Uh, at Aaron Gleeman on Twitter or just go to BaseballProspectus.com. Great, thank you. No problem. That's Mike Grimm with Aaron Gleeman talking Twins playoff baseball. Minnesota Matters will return after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. Steve Sack has been a political cartoonist on the editorial pages of the Star Tribune for nearly four decades. In 2013, he won the Pulitzer Prize for his work, and he's got a new book out, the first and only book of Sack. I recently chatted with Steve about the book, his process, and how he began his illustrious career. Well, I kind of fell into it. I was a student at the University of Minnesota, and uh, looking for a job, and I looked in the daily the newspaper there, and they had an ad for an illustrator. So I threw some drawings together, and I applied, and they gave me a job. It was to do illustrations to go with movie reviews and uh, stories and that, that kind of thing. And after a while, I saw that the uh, editorial cartoonist was being paid more than the illustrators. So I waited until he went on a leave of absence, and I hopped into his chair, and <laughs> I've been living the glamorous cartoonist lifestyle ever since. Uh, how do you go from getting that initial idea in, in your mind to getting it down on paper? Well, I would say that uh, my process, my job description is is uh, read the paper, crack a joke, draw a picture, and turn it in. <laughs> and basically that's what it is. I, you know, I can elaborate on any of those particular things, but that's essentially the job. I start my day reading uh, our newspaper, other newspapers, uh, blogs, maybe some magazine stuff or some, some television reports. Uh, most of my day is spent doing research and trying to be, you know, <laughs> as silly as a cartoon can be, I try to be as informed as I can. And then uh, it's time to work on ideas. I'll start sketching. Uh, I might write down several possible topics for the day, and I'll start sketching and um, 
let my mind kind of wander and, and think about what I feel about a particular issue. And somehow it magically pops out of my pen some notion that I can pictorially present a particular item. And uh, I try to think up maybe three to five new ideas every day. And out of those, I pick one and spend the rest of the day drawing it up. And that's always my favorite part, the drawing part. Are there any restrictions placed on you by the the Star Tribune or uh, any editorial staff since you're on the editorial page? No, it's quite remarkable. I, in in my 36 years, I have never been told what to draw or what not to draw, and that's it's it, that's fairly unusual in my business. I have friends, fellow cartoonists around the country, and some of them. Uh, are given topics that they cannot draw about. They're given particular positions that they cannot take. Um, so we have a cartoonist convention every year. I always go home thanking my lucky stars. I work for the Star Tribune. They recognize that what I do is an opinion piece. It's a, a, a personal opinion piece, and I sign my name to it. So it's not like I do the official viewpoint of the Star Tribune. It's the official viewpoint of Steve Sack. Is there a particular Minnesota politician that you like to draw the most or that you've had the most fun with over your career? Uh, that's easy. That would be our, our wonderful governor, Jesse Ventura, who was a walking, talking, living, breathing cartoon of a man. <laughs> and he, he not only, not only uh, had the giant egotistical personality, but he, he came with a actual flamboyant wardrobe, you know, the feather boa, the bandana, uh, the, the leopard skin pants. I mean, the guy was quite colorful. So, yeah, he was always a lot of fun to draw. I'm sure you get a lot of feedback from readers, but I'm wondering, have you gotten any feedback from politicians that you've, that you've drawn in the past, uh, good or bad? Well, you're quite right. I do get a lot of feedback, and readers are not shy about letting me know if they like or especially don't like a cartoon. Oftentimes, if they like a cartoon, they'll put it on the refrigerator. If they don't like it, they'll call me or my boss or my boss's boss and uh, or send an email or send a letter, that kind of thing, which I encourage. You know, it's, it's great. I have my spot to make my commentary, and I think they should be able to have their say as well. I like to have letters to the editor about my cartoons, whether they're positive or negative. I think it's great to have a back and forth that way. I rarely hear from politicians directly. Usually, if I if I get a request for an original or something like that, it comes from an aide. They don't call me personally. Um, there have been a few politicians who did call me or contact me. Uh, Senator Paul Wellstone called me a couple times, and he was unhappy with cartoons I did about him. Um, Usually, uh, they they don't contact me directly. I think they try to keep an arm's length. I'm just curious how that conversation with uh, Senator Wellstone went. Uh, was he trying to convince you of something? No, no. Actually, that the last time I talked to him, it was very unfortunate. It was before he he uh, was killed in that airplane crash. Um, I had done a cartoon. Uh, let's see. He had he had promised during his campaign that he would not run for re-election, right. saying that that would be the last time. And then he changed his mind. 
And I drew a cartoon about that, and in the cartoon I, I suggested that, that doing that was, he was being just like any other politician. And he called and, and said he was disappointed in the cartoon, and he asked me if I thought he was just like another politician. And I told him, on this particular issue, yes, I think that was the case. Um, and I, I, you know, I told him my point of view. He told me his point of view, and he wasn't trying to change my mind. He was, I guess, he was looking for more of an explanation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I liked him, I supported him, but when things, when he when he took a stance like that on going back on a campaign promise, you know, I'm going to point it out. And unfortunately, that was the last time I ever spoke to him. Do you plan on uh, continuing to do this job for another 36 years? <laughs> uh, I'm not Sid Hartman. I don't plan on, <laughs> uh, you know, rounding up the next century working at the Star Tribune. So I, I will not make that promise. This well, is the first and only book of sack. If there's another one, it'll be the first and only book of sack too. But you will have to wait at least 36 years for that. Thank you to my guest, Pulitzer Prize-winning political cartoonist Steve Sack. Minnesota Matters will return after this. back to Minnesota Matters. There's been a lot of news coverage over the past couple weeks about how the U.S. military is increasingly concerned about terrorists using drones against our troops overseas, with some less respectable outlets speculating about the possibility of the computer-controlled aircraft being used in an attack on the White House. Lots of people are thinking about drones, and MnDOT's Office of Aeronautics even held a workshop this week to brief members of the news media on necessary training and requirements for flying them commercially. MNN's Bill Werner has been thinking a little too hard about the situation. There's an interesting experiment underway on the other side of the Atlantic, which might have application on this side. If at some future date we have to exercise our Second Amendment rights for a purpose other than taking game or shooting each other in road rage. The Washington Post reports the French military are training golden eagles from almost the moment of birth to snatch drones right out of the sky. The Raptors are apparently pretty good at it. Their legendary speed and keen eyesight had many applications in the olden days. And those skills are undiminished today as they zero in on their target, deftly reach past three or four screaming helicopter blades which could grind their legs to mash, and then attach to the body with a needlepoint grip of steel, dragging their quarry, often in pieces, to the ground far below. They're given, I suppose, a small bird or a vole as a reward for their efforts, as pieces of polymer plastic or a rechargeable battery would be somewhat unsatisfying. Now, the reason why this schooling is occurring in the first place, of course, is because human beings, as they have been wont to do for tens of thousands of years, tend to turn objects of fun and whimsy into weapons of war. In fact, the Post reports terrorists retrofitting small drones with deployment devices and then using them to drop bombs on Iraqi troops as the government soldiers futilely fired into the air. I would imagine that these lessons are not lost on the government of the United States, particularly because the use of drones in most places in our land is lightly regulated at best. 
As we all know, the purpose of the Second Amendment is to guarantee that citizens are allowed to possess a means of self-defense. Today, we think this means from mere criminals. But actually, the original intent of the Second Amendment was to give citizens the ability to defend themselves from their government if it tried to take away their liberties without just cause. We have not had this problem lately. But if we do... I'm sure that American citizens, with their revolvers and rifles and semi-automatic weapons in hand, will be able to adequately defend themselves from those that come after them with laser-controlled fighter jets and GPS-guided drones, which chase them down even the most contorted back alleys, right to the threshold of their very doors, and then blast a path inside. Perhaps, rather than devoting so much concern to gun permits and background checks, defenders of the Second Amendment should consider taking up falconry. That way, the bald eagle could again become a true defender of freedom in the United States of America. Bill Werner on the Minnesota News Network. As always, a fascinating perspective from MNN's Bill Werner. That's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station. <laughs>